Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I am so grateful to have Alan Pratt, who is the director of the National Rural Education Association, joining us today to talk all things really education, rural education, and also point to the strong presence that our affiliate here in Nebraska has for our rural schools in our state. And so Alan's someone I've gotten a chance to become an acquaintance with from having attended the national conference a couple times and also getting a chance to see him here more recently at the NERCSA conference. And so, uh, Alan, welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. The Good Life, that I, I remembered the title, but when you said it, it hit me in a good way, uh, in a positive way, because it is a good life and we got to be positive of, no matter what we think is going on across the country or what's going on to our schools. We're, we're doing a good job and we're moving forward. So uh, happy to be here. Yeah, I do find that this is a space where we can just invest in the positives. And and sometimes that is in, ad- in addressing the challenges of the moment, too, and how we might go about it. And so we'll kind of cover a lot of uh, different topics over the course of today's conversation. But for people that are not familiar with you, Alan, and kind of your backstory in education, how did you become the director of NREA? So the good Lord is a sense of humor. Um, so <laughs> I never thought I'd be in this role. So that's the a, a positive. Uh, I've been in rural education my entire life. So 27 years and had the opportunity to get involved with the work with the rural association at our state level, but also with the national level and uh, had the opportunity to apply for this job and uh, my background and my connection to a university, the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, where my office is. You know, it kind of worked out, and this is going on year seven or eight. I, they kind of run together. So awesome. And I know that you've gotten uh, the opportunity to get to know Jack Moles quite well with NERCSA here in our state. So uh, uh, maybe taking a moment to kind of talk to that connection, and then we can build that out to the national organization as well. Yeah, you know, Jack's done a great job, and, and his predecessor, Dr. John Hobbin, did a great job as well. And and they've had a strong, solid state affiliate. When I came on in 2016, 2017, it was Dr. Hobbin and then rolled into Dr. Moles. They're one of our strongest state affiliates. So NERC says is a proud member. We're proud to have them. And it's like I tell people all the time when I go to the state conference, I don't know if Nebraska realizes how good they have it. Uh, I know it didn't always seem that way with politics and different things, but it is good. And it's it's a it's a nice place for me to visit and really be a, a part of something I feel like that's a positive change agent to help rural schools and communities to help the process. I can't say enough about what they do, what y'all do in Nebraska, but also what Jack and you know the board at NERCSA do for NREA. Coming to the conference, being a part of the conversation is vital. You know, that's been my, though limited experience, that's been my experience too, as I've gotten a chance to either go and be a part of the event that you all host or uh, our service agencies nationally have their annual uh, conference as well. And uh, I do feel like there's always a really strong Nebraska presence. And I'm very proud of the work that we do in our state and how we do our part to be leaders in the education community, both in our borders and nationally here. So so having mentioned that, yeah, let's talk about this year's conference. You already referenced Chattanooga. You're in your backyard this year, aren't you? Yeah, we, we have the fortunate opportunity to be in, in our downtown Chattanooga to bring our conference in and, and, you know, to bring 48 or 49 states to the state of Tennessee, which is important. 
you know, the work that we do at NREA, the conference is kind of like a, an event that we bring people together, but it's also a fellowship and it's kind of family coming together a lot of times. And, and a lot of our people feel like that. And we're, we're expanding that family. We're deeper family than we've been in the past. Our association's grown membership wise. We're a more diverse community and family than we've been in the past, which I think is very important. And that comes from strong leadership in the sense of what our state affiliates are doing. And I'll go back to Jack and NERC's a prime example of gaining members, adding those members to our database, encouraging those members to come to our conference. That's what it's all about, this kind of state chapter hub and, and the work together. And, and when we went from about 32 state affiliates to 42, and we hope to get all 50 states. Uh, we do have members in all 50 states, but Nebraska being one of our strongest, and we just got to get Nebraska's help on South Dakota, maybe in Wyoming. We'll get that push. Maybe that'll help us out a little bit. <laughs> oh, I, I love that. And, you know, uh, an experience, and again, I can only speak to my own experience with it, but uh, there are specific challenges that face our rural communities when it comes to uh, public education. And in so many small towns, too, that school is the hub for a lot of economic growth and activities that are going on and, and just sustaining our small towns across the country. And so uh, it is important, I think, for people to be able to get together in spaces like you all provide uh, to learn from one another and to, and to confront some of those challenges. And so maybe we can dive into some of those individual challenges uh, hereafter, but just speaking broadly to that concept, that this is an opportunity, right, for folks to really learn from one another and, and grow uh, together in that work. Yeah, I mean, first of all, rule in the context and definition of rule we may look differently. We, our communities may be different than, say, southeast to, to Nebraska is a little bit different, say, southeast to Tennessee. But we have the same problems for the most part. And I think coming to the conference enables people to say, oh, we do have the same problem. We have some issues, but there's other ways to look at these issues that, you know, you may pick up something that helps your community. And, and despite the narrative that's kind of pushed a lot of times not all rural communities are dying not all rural communities are going away there's some that need help and need work and need a charge but there's a lot of rural communities doing it the right way and uh, it may not look like it was in the 30s 40s 50s and 60s on main street but they're still making progress they're still doing things they still have places where people gather you mentioned the school as being a part of that and the school is a major part of that that hub of activity the athletic events the plays, meetings, school board meetings, uh, any type of meeting. So I, I think that's, it's so important and, and we can't lose it in our country. It's so, it's just, it's vital to our existence. Yeah. And I know, I like to think I grew up in a rural small town, but when I tell people it had 3000 people in it, some folks point a finger at me and say, oh, that's not, <laughs> that's not the small town I'm familiar with. So it does look different, I think, to different folks and in different places. But as you mentioned, it, it has been great to learn from folks representing different parts of the country and to try to just come up with ways to address some, because education broadly has cha its challenges today. Uh, it always has, but I mean, there are a number of different fronts. And so maybe to get into the nuance of that a little bit, yeah, what are some of the things that you're seeing as being commonalities in the work that we're all uh, trying to do in a rural setting? Yeah, I think one of the things that's come about a little bit before COVID, but after COVID, obviously broadband's been a big challenge for a lot of people and the percent of people that have broadband at home. It's not so much the schools anymore. It's the access outside. It's the homework gap. It's the last mile. It's those areas. So that's been an issue. But also to tag into that, also, I think 
we're now looking at schools and communities as this, they work together as an economic development driver. And I think it's it's a workforce, it's a job creator, but it's also a way to enable the next gen of folks that, that are these entrepreneur students that we should be preparing, that we should be able to have high-speed broadband internet in, say, a small town in Nebraska, and you could have remote workers there or have a next company or a next manufacturing job be there. I think that's the piece that it's kind of tied together with our schools coming out of COVID as well. Obviously, teacher shortages. Teacher shortages have been a major issue. We have a lot of districts across the country that are still trying to find teachers, and they start the first week of August. So we know that's the challenge. Uh, we also know, I was reading something today, that there was a study probably early 2000s, mid-2000s. They were talking about one in five undergrad undergrad majors were in education in the mid-2000s, one in five. Now it's probably down to even a lower number than that. We just don't have the people jumping into education. So we have to do a good job of selling this profession and making this profession more accessible, but also more desirable for people. And I would imagine in the role that you're in, you have the opportunity to go and have really in-depth conversations with leadership uh, all over uh, regarding issues like this. And so let's take teacher shortages there, since that's the point that you just underscored. What are some things that you're seeing? What are some things that you've kind of learned? Or is there any uh, approaches or ways that people are working through trying to address that in a positive way that uh, you think is worth sharing out? Yeah, I think the teacher apprenticeship pipeline, the the one that is recognized by the U.S. Department of Labor and the State Departments of Labor, I think those apprenticeship pipelines are going to be vital. And they're going to get us, I, I think they're a stopgap in a lot of ways when you're looking at, they're going to either look at paraprofessionals or folks in the community that could quickly be trained, educated, certified to be teachers. That's a good pool you can pull from that can help the numbers. But we still got to look at ways that we're growing this from you know, middle school, high school students that want to be teachers. I think anything we can do, quick certification or ways we can be creative and how we address this problem, it's what we're seeing across the country. I think North Dakota just had a Department of Labor apprenticeship program for school leadership approved. That was just last week or the week before. So I think all those avenues of how do we do apprenticeship programs, because we're, we can do it for welding, we can do it for other craft trades, we should be able to do it for teachers as well. Yeah, I know that that's been some of our past episodes on the podcast have entertained some different ways with that, too. So I can encourage folks to go back and, and look into that there as well, because there have been and I think it was on the podcast, at least sentiments about folks yeah, becoming paraprofessionals while they're going through their education training and then mm -hmm. eventually get into a place where they like can pay those experiences into their role uh, as the leader of that classroom, as a teacher at the front. Uh, so with that, then, are there other topics that we could maybe discuss like regarding challenges facing the rural communities? systems? Yeah, yeah, I think when we talked about broadband, we talked through that. And I think there's been creative ways for that to change. And I think districts are finding ways to incorporate. And I also think it leads to when you're looking at this situation where we don't have to do brick and mortar five days a week, we can be more flexible than we were in the past. And I think we're going to, we got to see that flexibility stay because we had it during the pandemic and we're going to push that forward. I, th I think that change and those flexibility on options of four day weeks versus maybe three day weeks, two days doing something else. I, I think there's all kinds of options that we've got to push forward uh, to be competitive. And I also think that allows us to have different opportunities for our students to be engaged in different curriculum, different subject areas as well. So I think that would, that's important as we move forward.
Well, speak to that a little bit more than I guess the benefit of going to four days is what? I think it's pretty multifaceted. I have a couple ideas, but what are you seeing? Well, I mean, first of all, I think people talk about it as a budget saver. It's not. I don't think that's the money end all be all. I think it's a creative way to recruit teachers because some districts don't have that capability and teachers may like that. That's a good way to pull them to your district. The other aspect is dual enrollment or college courses that students could take during that day that's off. They can go to that college campus and take those courses. The other one is you can train paraprofessionals and during the Grow Your Own and the model that uh, Missouri State's currently using, that they're training those parents on the day they're not in school, they're taking those college classes, and and that's pushing them forward on how to have an in-person day, plus, plus also a hybrid or virtual model as well. So I, I think there's all kinds of ways for training and, and different ways to be very creative and also provide your community with maybe some options for some extra curricular, but also extra resources for the community members that could use the building during that time period as well. Yeah. And just to diversify learning experiences for students where during those times, there's a myriad of different things that they can undertake. I know there's a uh, Brent Madden joined us um, from Arizona State for an earlier podcast, and he uh, just talked about even bringing in speakers from the community. Uh, and that could even be virtual, right? If you're going to get someone maybe from uh, outside of your area to do breakout sessions for students during that time and and maybe drive passion projects or people that want to lead into more of those genius hour type efforts. Uh, there's a lot that you could do to fill that space and time frame there. So that's. I would agree. That's a good, I mean, and that's a good point about the speakers, bringing community members in, making those, you know, project-based learning or place-based learning moments in that, in that time frame and, and really discussing the history of your rural community, maybe get your students involved in projects. I think those are very, very good. Yeah, and that I think in his example too, it was uh, something to where four day weeks sometimes would be for students to be in person for four days, or maybe they're in person for all five, and that fifth day could be a flex day. In the examples that I'm providing here, uh, where teachers would report all five days, uh, but maybe not lead class in a traditional sense, um, yeah. very much to what you're speaking to as well as if they're going to be off campus. So, uh, love all these innovative approaches to thinking differently about brick and mortar and the bell schedules uh, and how we do seat <laughs> hours and all those things that I think yeah. can be flexible at this time. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that so much of this has changed since 2020. What are you seeing too, maybe with regards to other innovations? I know distance education in our state uh, looks like a, a teacher Zooming with a classroom of students, maybe up to you know 20 or 30, like a, a traditional classroom, just with their teacher not present in the traditional sense, but able to facilitate that instruction and lead activities uh, from another building. Yeah, we're seeing that across the country. That's a good point. I mean, it's good that that virtual teacher that could be Zoomed in, so to speak, for that classroom. But we're also seeing district share teachers in general. And I think those are op open up opportunities. I think we're seeing coming out of pandemic, we're seeing more apprenticeship slash on the job work-based learning that's going on as well. Because I think we've discovered that students, you know, a seven and a half hour day, if they're a junior or senior, they may have the courses they need, so to speak. So why not let them have more job placement or job training to figure out what they do and do not want to do? And I think that's important. I'm sorry, I keep like dropping all these breadcrumbs from previous episodes, but it is fun to connect the dots a little bit. Yeah. And we recently had Justin Shattuck, uh, who is from Scotts Bluff, uh, where he got a chance to speak to some of their uh, apprenticeship programs and the career ready academies 
that students are able to go into that help give them a little bit more of a slant. Let's just say like, if you're going to talk math, let's talk about it in terms of agriculture. You know, if that's something that you're looking to go into, uh, I really appreciate the division that Scott's Bluff High School has with how they support that type of effort. Uh, and I just w- bring that up to say that's happening here in our state, uh, yep. right? So your example there is something that we're invested in uh, here in Nebraska. So, yep. I mean, I, th- I think it, it goes to the point, number one, to brag on Nebraska, they do a lot of good things. Obviously, y'all do a lot of good stuff in the state and you're building upon things that you've taken from other places. But the other part of it is, you know, years ago, hundreds of years ago, we didn't have to educate till they were 18. We were probably doing it in different ways. And we know students can learn at a more rapid pace a lot of times now with the technology that we have and, and different things that are coming down the pike. And I think any opportunity you can open the door for a student to find what their passion may be or the creation of a job that didn't even exist, and they're the person that's going to be that key pivot point to make it happen. If you did the traditional way, you may not have had that open up or that situation happen for that student. So that's why I look at it as anything we can do to be flexible, creative, outside the box, we don't know what's going to come out of that. It's going to be very positive, I think. And if we let students, you know, student agency is a big term that, you know, the, the, the terms that people use is student choice in the curriculum, student choice in their pathway. That's vital. And I think that's what rural schools have to do. And the states and the schools and communities that do this will be very successful. And so with this, yeah, before we started recording today, you and I had a chance to just kind of reference the Why Rural Matters effort. Uh, and so I certainly wanted to take a little bit of time to kind of delve into that a little bit more. So, yeah, what uh, can you explain that effort? Yeah. So the, the report, the Why Rural Matters report, has been out since like 99, 2001. And it was basically a report that the rural schools and community trust, they would put it out every two years. Uh, they're still involved. We have taken over the major portion of the publication, the research and all that good stuff. So our report will be released, Why Rural Matters, Raising Rules, what our theme will be. And that'll be released at the conference. We'll have a PDF uh, version. We'll have a version on our website. But we're also creating that state ranking system about why rule is important in your state, but we're taking all the data and we're going to put it on a data dashboard on our website. So people will be able to search and drive, you know, pull information, create charts and graphs of what they're doing in their state. And then our goal is what we want to do is help train state directors, but also rural school districts on how to lack of a better term, lobby at their local offices, meaning their local house and, and Senate federal uh, their state folks and their local folks that uh, maybe even school board. So we want them to take this information and use it in a positive way to to direct the conversation and direct their story of why they're rural and their context of rural and what it means and, you know, what these numbers actually mean for their district. So that's kind of, that's our role right now. That's what we've been working on. Wow. Cause it is so important to tell your story and it's also challenging to do so uh, and to be able to find the time, especially when everyone's spread so thin with the day-to-day rhythms and responsibilities to uh, pick your head yeah. up enough to make sure that those pieces are also being focused on. And uh, so with that, I guess, yeah, what, what other roles do you sort of see the NREA playing in addition to supporting that effort to the conference yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, we'll continue what we've been doing with our work at the federal level and the state level. But our, our, we're always looking to grow state affiliates. We're always looking to grow membership. But we think anything we can enhance our membership 
folks with, you know, the report, the data dashboard, podcasting, which we do have our own podcast as well, uh, research journals, research articles, uh, blogs that we put on our, our website, it, just all kind of different ways that we want to find that next need or that that area that people are wanting or needing. And that's what we want to do. And um, a lot of our work since I started come out of requests or suggestions from people saying, Hey, why don't you do a podcast? Right. Why don't you do more blogs or why don't you do? And that's kind of led to this work. And um, it's what we want to do. And so hearing that for the present, then a question I have is what is your kind of leadership vision? Because work's always evolving. Uh, and especially with, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the change in technology and different demands of the moment, everything's growing, uh, you know, in, uh, mm-hmm. into the next effort. So where, where do you see uh, your efforts going next? For us, our vision long-term is to be the voice, uh, to be that point person or point group that federally folks come to, but nationwide in general, they say, hey, we, we got a question. We're going to go to NRAA. That's where we want to be. And that's where we always wanted to be. And we started in 1907. And I, I would, if I could go back in the way back machine and talk to those folks, I know they'd say the same thing. They want to be the voice. They want to be that person at the table. We always want to do that, but we always want to grow. And, and growth looks a coverage map of growth, but also a growth of real, true, honest work and transparency that we're doing the right thing and we got your best interest at heart. So when I walk away from this, I want the organization to be better, but I also want people to say, yep, they did good work and they weren't trying to cut corners. They weren't trying to do anything that didn't look good. They weren't just trying to make money. They were trying to do things the right way. And, and if that's when I walk away, they said, yep, he did it the right way. I'm good. I can go away and life will be good. Well, can I piece those last two segments together and say your podcast, The Rural Voice? Have I got that right? Yes. There we yes. go. So I heard voice in the uh, more recent comment there. So it's yeah. good to point out like by title that folks, I mean, you're obviously listening to this because you're into podcasts and so uh, would point folks to listen to NREA podcast as well to stay up to date on these conversations. And uh, I guess, Alan, what am I not asking? Uh, what are some things maybe that are worth taking a little bit of time to discuss here as we round out closer to the end of our I show? Mean, I mean, I, th- I think people need to, they need to go to their school district and they need to be involved, but they need to do it they need to go and see what they can do to make their school district better. And that's open-ended. So it could be anything, but even if your school district's not responsive or receptive to you knocking on the door and asking them, don't, don't let that stop you. I think moving that forward, finding a way to make your community, your school, your students better bottom line. And I think, when you see people that are progressive in the sense of they are always looking forward for their rural communities, that's important. And the growth is coming. And I think people are moving out of certain areas into pockets of rural. And I think with broadband and connectivity and the secondary amenities that people are now being able to have or live with, uh, I think this is a golden age to do some changes and, and be really, really mindful of what you can do and how your rural community can be better. I absolutely love that. And I've wondered that myself too, that with particularly remote work, if it's going to lead to an opportunity for some of our more rural communities to grow and to find employment opportunities that maybe weren't traditional of that area, uh, but they can certainly do that from the comforts of what's always been home uh, for folks, if that's where they grew up potentially. So are you seeing that as well, I guess? Has that been a part of the conversation also, how to support learners 
in that transition maybe to sticking around where they grew up or to move into a small town if that's their their preference. Yeah, and if, if communities don't reach out to their students and let them know, hey, we want you back, I mean, they're not going to probably stay. I mean, so we got to show an interest in, in allowing that student group to be a part of the decision making. But we also have to be flexible enough to say, hey, this student's coming out of high school. They're wanting to go to trade school or community college or four year school. This is what they want to create. They could bring it back to our community. That's the bottom line. And I think that's the beauty of this kind of movement forward and this timeline of progression of our rural communities. And it's not going to look like it was in the 50s and 60s. It's not going to be the same look, which is okay. It shouldn't look like it's in the 50s and 60s. And if they come back with cars with big wings on the back and all that stuff, we know we've time hop for the wrong reason. So, Gosh, I love getting a chance to pick your brain and learn a little bit more about all this. And, and for folks that want to be invested in the ongoing conversations that you all are part of, um, maybe we'll take a moment here to just, we already pointed to the Rural Voice podcast, um, but yeah. where can they find you website-wise? And we should speak to the conference for this year specifically as well. Yeah, so everything's on our website. So nrea.net, so www.nrea.net. You'll find everything, conference, podcast, registration, all the stuff that's on there. Uh, you can find all of our information, my contact info, how to become a member, all that stuff's on our website. Okay. And we'll be sure to put that in our show notes. And so make sure that you access to find the link to, the, to that. And really, Alan, I'm just so grateful for your time today and the opportunity to connect, to talk a little bit about the work that NREA is involved in and to get a sense of nationally what, what some of those challenges are and how we're going about addressing those. And so thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for the invite and uh, look forward to getting back to Nebraska in the spring. Thank <laughs> you.